We're going to read the fifth psalm, Psalm 5. For those who were here last week, we looked at the first six verses and we're going to come to the uh, later six this evening, but we're going to read the whole psalm. Psalm 5. To the chief musician, with flutes, a psalm of David. Give ear to my words, O Lord, consider my meditation. Give heed to the voice of my cry, my King and my God, for to you I will pray. My voice you shall hear in the morning, O Lord, in the morning I will direct it to you, and I will look up. For you are not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness, nor shall evil dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand in your sight. You hate all workers of iniquity. You shall destroy those who speak falsehood. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. But as for me, I will come into your house in the multitude of your mercy. In fear of you, I will worship toward your holy temple. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before my face. For there is no faithfulness in their mouth. Their inward part is destruction. Their throat is an open tomb. They flatter with their tongue. Pronounce them guilty, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels. Cast them out in the multitude of their transgressions. For they have rebelled against you. But let all those rejoice who put their trust in you. Let them ever shout for joy, because you defend them. Let them also who love your name be joyful in you. For you, O Lord, will bless the righteous. With favour you will surround him as with a shield. (coughs) We looked last week at the psalmist coming in prayer to God and coming to prayer to God against the background of the enemies uh, of uh, of him and of God. And knowing, verses 4 to 6, that those who are attacking him will in the end be destroyed and excluded from God's presence. And that leads him, I think, to this meditation here in verse 7. Verses 7, and this section falls into three parts, two verses each, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. And we're back to the godly man again. But I, there's a contrast here. David is saying that he worships. He worships voluntarily and he worships truly. In the multitude of God's mercy, this is this Hebrew word hezeh that means covenant love. It's it's a full term of the steadfast, unchanging love of God. And David is confident of that. In contrast to those who take pleasure in wickedness, who won't dwell with him, verse 4, or stand in his sight, who will be destroyed, uh, verse 6, but I'm going to come to your house in the multitude of your mercy. On earth, of course, God had still a house, uh, but it was not yet a physical temple. And so David says, in fear of you, I'll worship toward, which is the right translation, toward your holy temple. He's thinking not of the earthly temple, he's thinking of the heavenly temple. He's thinking of God in heaven and coming into the tabernacle on earth in all as a representation of coming into the 
the presence of God spiritually, the God who dwells in heaven. So he's coming to, to, to worship God in the understanding and the knowledge and the assurance of God's mercy, God's covenant love, but he's also drawing near in fear and in reverence. Uh, and we remember Moses, don't we, having to draw near at the burning bush, or Joshua having to take his shoes off his feet, and, and Isaiah as he gets that vision of God in the temple, and, and that here are the godliest people, and, and when they start thinking of God and what he's like, uh, then they have that, this right reverent fear is there, that awe of God. And both of these things, of course, are true uh, for us who are in Christ. We have God's uh, covenant love to us in him. Uh, we have that love which is spoken of in, in terms of agape love in, in the New Testament uh, that God has freely chosen to love us. The multitude of your mercy, says David. Well, we can say the multitude of God's love. God took the initiative. This is a love of initiative, not a love of response. Uh, we, God loves us first. And God has chosen to love us. And we come near when we come in worship, but we are to remember that. How can we draw near to God? Because he has set his love upon us from before the foundation of the world in Christ, that we might be able, therefore, to, to worship him. That is the basis on which we come. The love of God which has wrought all our salvation and still means that we are saved. But we come near also, don't we, to God in his holy temple. We come near through Christ, who is in the temple of God, in the presence of God in heaven, who is our great high priest, who lives forever to make intercession for us. <clears throat> and it's in his merits that we come near and worship God, and we are to come near with awe. And therefore, the writer of the Hebrews is not contradicting himself, when in Hebrews 10, he says, verse 22, that when we come near to worship, let us draw near, with a true heart, let us draw near, with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Verse 19, that we have boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus. And yet, in, verse, in chapter 12, at the end, verse 28, therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace, thankfulness, by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence, and godly fear for our God is a consuming fire. We are always in, to have those two things. It's not a balance, is it? It's two things which are true, which we have to, to hold together. That we are fully able in Christ to come and worship God acceptably. But that we come to the holy God who we are to come in reverent fear and awe before him. And then David goes on. He says, more prayer, isn't it? Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before my face. Now we need to understand what he's saying here. He's asking God to lead, the Lord to lead him in your righteousness and make your way straight before my face. In other words, he's saying, Lord, you are the righteous God and you have given laws and instructions to your people about how we are to live in 
righteousness. And that's the righteousness in which I am asking you to lead me. His prayer is for leading in righteousness because of his enemies. In Psalm 23, we we know those words very well, don't we? Psalm 23 and verse 3, he leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. We are to pray that when we come near to God, we are to ask, Lord, lead me today in righteousness. In your righteousness, because, says David, of my enemies. Now, why does he add that phrase? Well, I think there are different explanations. They, they merge together, really. But one is, you could say, well, it, he's saying, here are my enemies around me who are going to attack me, but more are going to entice me and seek to lead me astray. And, Lord, don't let me follow their way. Lead me in your righteousness. Don't let me be tempted to go down the way of the wicked. Don't let me be tempted to compromise uh, and, and not to walk in righteousness. But I think there's an, an, the other side to that is, is this, isn't it? Here are my enemies and they are watching my every step. Lord, lead me in your righteousness so that your enemies might see that I am walking in your righteousness. In other words, it's the honour of God's name that is his desire and his motive for this prayer. Lord, help me to live in a way which before these wicked people shows you forth. I don't, I don't think we have to choose between the nuances of that, do we? The, the, it's, all, it's all one as we pray this. We are saying, Lord, there are many people who are going to seek to lead me astray. Help me to walk in your righteousness. Help me to do so in a way which glorifies you, which shows you, which shows that I am your servant and I am walking in your ways. And therefore he's praying for leading in the right way, the righteous way. And we have other passages in the word of God which say this, so that in Psalmist in Psalm 119, just to take uh, two examples, uh, Psalm 119 verse 106, I have sworn and confirmed that I will keep your righteous judgments. Verse 138, your testimonies which you have commanded are righteous and very faithful. God's commands in the word is what is being spoken of here. And we're told, aren't we, in Romans 12 uh, and verses 1 and 2 to present our bodies as a living sacrifice and we're told that we do that by the renewal of our minds. Uh, This is similar then, isn't it? Lord, help me to understand your commands and to live them out and to show you forth. It's not a prayer for some sort of inner mystical guidance. It's a prayer for strength to obey the revealed will of God. Make your way straight before my face. Not my way, your way. Make it plain to me what your way is. Help me to understand what you are commanding. And this is rightly to understand, isn't it, what we we expect from God. We have this relationship with him by which his Holy Spirit dwells within us, his Holy Spirit, and we are to expect him by his Holy Spirit through the word to work within us and make plain our way 
in terms of understanding how his word applies to our ongoing daily situation. It's a wonderful verse in Isaiah 30, in verse uh, uh, verse 21, uh, where the promise comes from God. Your ears uh, shall hear a word behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. Whenever you turn to the right hand or whenever you turn to the left. To turn to the right hand means to commit sin of commission and to turn to the left hand means sins of omission. And it's saying whenever you do that, God is saying there will be this voice. The Holy Spirit will be pointing you back to my way. Leading me in it, but it's best not to turn aside one way or the other. And that's what David is praying for and we should be praying for. Make your way straight. Remember how John the Baptist was said to come and make the way straight before Christ. To keep on the straight way. The narrow way, the straight and narrow way, that's a different word, straight, it means narrow. But, but to keep on the, on the way that goes down through the middle of our duties every day. Not turning aside to the right or to the left. Not doing what we shouldn't or failing to do what we should. And we pray this to God. And this is the way of his righteousness. The Holy Spirit in the conscience. Helping us to do this. Those who are led by the Spirit of God. Are sons of God. And the context there is walking in God's ways. Obeying his commandments. Romans 8 and verse 14. The Holy Spirit dwells within us. And he is the Holy Spirit. So he leads us in holiness. He is called the spirit of truth. He helps us to understand the truth. And this is what we can continually pray. And it's a marvellous privilege, isn't it? That we can ask the Lord to help us to walk in his righteousness. To ask the Lord to lead us in his righteousness. Because of our enemies. Make your way straight before me. And then David goes back to the enemies. For there is no faithfulness in their mouth. Their inward part is destruction. Their throat is an open mouth. They flatter with their tongue. How much this is true, isn't it, and, uh, of the enemies of God's people. How much we can see this in this day. Uh, and you see it here in terms even, don't we, of those who, who, should be, who claim to be serving God. Uh, those who have no faithfulness in their mouth, those who are denying his commandments, who are promoting sin, because their inward part, we're told, is destruction, and their throat is an open tomb, and they flatter with their tongue, they flatter sinners, that they will be all right before God. They teach that, that evil will not be punished, They teach that God is happy with people sinning in all sorts of dreadful ways. And David graphically says, Paul quotes this, doesn't he, Romans 3. Their inward part is destruction, their throat is an open grave. It's, It's a vivid picture. It's saying, as it were, they will swallow up the people who they deceive, who will go down to destruction inside them. That's the picture. Like a monster. That, that just put, consumes whatever food, whatever people, whatever creatures it, it and, and takes them down and destroys them. <clears throat> Again, as we said last week, 
God is given these, these words, David's prayer. He is not mincing his words, is he? As in last week, we saw that he abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. And that uh, he, he will destroy those who speak falsehood, verse 6. Here it is again, he's saying, do not be fooled about those who would flatter with their tongues and who would say that sin is not sin. They are those who will swallow up those who believe them. They will try to lead everyone away from God. And what does David pray? Pronounce them guilty, O God. <clears throat> Let them fall by their own counsels. Cast them out in the multitude of their transgressions. <coughs> Excuse me. For they have rebelled against you. You see, we can say, can't we, that, that many people in our country are trying to promote sin. Uh, but, and we're not surprised. But the context that David has here, he's living in the midst of those who are supposed to be God's people. And yet they are persecuting him. And this is the context that we live in, isn't it? And David is speaking of, of such people and he's saying, pronounce them guilty, bring them down, make them fall by their own counsels. Those things that they think are wise, make it, make it be that which causes them to fall. Cast them out in the multitude of their transgressions. And shouldn't we thus pray? We should pray that those who lead God's people astray in the name of God are destroyed. One way, of course, of them being destroyed is that their influence is destroyed and that in the end, uh, as happens, churches which promote sin, the numbers just disappear and everybody, or the Christians, leave them. Most people leave them. Uh, and they go down and down and down. But however God does it, what we're saying is that the psalmist is saying here, it's right to pray against wicked religious leaders. It's right to pray for God to destroy them. For they have rebelled against him. It's what sinners are, isn't it? We are rebels against God. We are by nature, all of us, God's enemies. God in his mercy has saved us. There are many out there who are God's enemies, including those who don't believe in God, but there are those who are particularly God's enemies because they say they believe in God and yet they lead people into sin. And then the contrast changes again. David comes back and he's praying against the wicked in verses 9 and 10 and then he prays for God's people in verses 11 and 12. But let all those rejoice who put them trust, uh, trust in you. Let them ever shout for joy because you defend them. The marginal note in the uh, New King James has the word uh, cover, literally it says them, and that's, that's the word. It's the same word that is used for the covering over the ark. It's the word that's used, uh, in other words, for which brings, or would certainly bring to those who heard it first from David's lips, bring to mind the, 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 ta the, the tabernacle and the ark of the covenant. And the place where sin is covered, the atonement cover, mercy seat in the older versions, but the idea is of covering. And underneath is the law, and there is the golden cover, and on top of that, the blood of the sacrifices are offered to God. And God covers the sin of his people, and God does cover our sin. 
But here the picture is of God covering us over, as it were, and protecting us. Who is us? Those who trust in you. Those who trust in the Lord. And David says, let those rejoice who put their trust in you. And that is right, isn't it? We are to rejoice in the Lord always. The Lord Jesus, <coughs> on that, in that discourse before uh, he was, went to the cross in John 14 and verse 1, talks of trust. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God or trust in God. Trust also in me. Later on in the discourse, he says in John 16 and verse 22, I will see you again. Your heart will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. It's those who trust in the Lord who have this ongoing joy in the Lord. Let them indeed, he says, ever shout for joy. There's a marvellous passage, in, it's only a little passage, in Isaiah uh, in chapter uh, 24, where Isaiah is prophesying uh, of the glories of, of the day of Christ. And it says, verse 14, they shall lift up their voice, they shall sing for the majesty of the Lord. They shall cry aloud from the sea, Therefore glorify the Lord in the dawning light, the name of the Lord God in Israel, in the coastlands of the sea. From the ends of the earth we have heard songs, glory to the righteous one. And that is, you see, God, we, here is God who we, we ask, because he is perfectly righteous, to lead us in his righteousness. And there is that marvellous prophecy of the day coming when all over the earth there are people who are singing songs of joy, glory to the righteous one. In contrast to those who are promoting sin. Glory to God because he is righteous. And there it is then. Let those rejoice who put their trust in you. Let them ever shout for joy because you defend them. Let those also who love your name be joyful in you. Love God's name. Love God's righteous name. Love God's holy name. In other words, love the true God for who he is. That's what his name means. His name means the, uh, the totality of his being, of who he is. That's where everyone has to start, isn't it? Here is the Bible. It teaches us about that there is a God. And it teaches us who this God is like, that he is the Lord. And it teaches us that he is holy. And it teaches us what he demands of us. It teaches us what what it's like to be holy and righteous. It says God is holy and righteous and then it shows us and tells us what holy and righteousness, holiness and righteousness is. And then we look and we see people who say they serve God and teach about God and, and their concept of God is completely the opposite of, of what the Bible teaches. It's a different God, most certainly. It's a God who commends sin as opposed to condemns sin. Who is going to have the joy in the end? Who can have the joy now? Who can, well, those who trust in you, the true God, let them ever shout for joy. Those who love your name, be joyful in you. We should be rejoicing in, the, in who the Lord is. And he has many, many attributes. But it's his holiness and his righteousness that are being brought before us 
this evening, aren't they? To rejoice. Do we rejoice that God is holy and God is righteous? And that one day there is going to be a judgment in righteousness. And that all that is evil will, will, will be destroyed and all that is good and right will, will be magnified and, and God is going to, to judge in righteousness. It's the only hope, isn't it, for this world. If it weren't the case, where would we be? And so we are to love that God, that this is who he is, love his name. And we are to have confidence. Verse 12. For you, O Lord, will bless the righteous. With favour you will surround him as with a shield. David is perhaps thinking of himself first of all here. As he needs protection like a shield from the enemies who are seeking to destroy him as he walks in in God's righteous way. God's blessing, God's favour surrounding his people. And we can seek that as we walk in righteousness. You see, I think these last two verses challenge us, don't they? They challenge us in this way. That we know that we are saved and we can think about it and we can talk about it and we can talk about how God has saved us and that we are his children and all these things. But it's easy for us, the temptation is always there to, as it were, bank these blessings and to know that they're true. And then to grow dissatisfied. Because though God gives us our daily bread, he doesn't always give us the butter we want on our daily bread. And we don't always get our own way. And things don't always work out exactly as we would like them to in life. In fact, we could go much stronger, couldn't we? Things never work out exactly as we'd like them to in life. And we can grow dissatisfied and we can look, we can forget the massive realities of God's blessings and just grumble in our hearts about the bits we haven't got and we need to get them in proportion we need to get our salvation in such proportion to our our daily problems and trials and worries and difficulties that it takes over in our souls and therefore we rejoice in the Lord because we love his name there's the challenge for us David knew this There are challenges for us to be like this too.